last week to get everybody on the same page. Daniel and, and a lot of other Israelites were carried off into exile. Uh, by, by then, uh, military leader Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, and, then, and then a few years later, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, or, or Commander Nebuchadnezzar, becomes King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a whole lot of other young, smart uh, men and women were carried off to exile. Um, Babylon came in later and just annihilated the country, destroyed the temple, broke down the walls of Jerusalem, and, uh, and left it to ruin. Um, these men and women were taught and trained in the ways of Babylon. Uh, you know, they were they dressed like them. They they were given Babylonian names. Um, they tried to strip their Israelite identity away from them as much as they could. And we saw in Daniel chapter one that 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 Daniel took a stand in certain areas of of his beliefs of his faithfulness to God. And the very first one that we see is in the area of food. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, and I don't think it's saying to us that we should just all eat vegetables and that we shouldn't eat meat. Um, but in this particular time, because, because God did, honestly, God did away with those laws we see in the New Testament with the vision for Paul and Peter, and we see that we can, um, that, that's a whole other subject again. But, but Daniel said, nah, we're not going to eat this. In fact, um, test us. Test us and see that we're not more healthy and, and in better shape than those that are going to eat the food and the wine from the king's table. And, and that, the, the person that was put in charge of him did that, and they were. So Daniel took a stand, and, and God blessed them for it. Um, and, and I wonder what that sort of thing looks like in your life and in mine. What areas in your life and in my life is God testing us? Is God allowing or, or even intentionally putting things in our way to test our faith, to challenge us, to see how we would respond? What are those things in your life? What are the things in your life that, that you are tempted to cut corners in? That you are tempted to not be a man or woman of integrity, but you're, you're tempted to just do whatever the world says that you can do and just kind of slide on through. What are those things? Now, Brittany sort of stole a little bit of my thunder when she made this statement, but what is the book of Daniel about? God, yes. It's not about Daniel. It's not about lions. It's not about a furnace. It's not about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love saying that last name. Um, It's about God and the sovereignty of God. The fact that, that even though God carried... God... I don't know. I, I would say God said, hey, you Babylon, go in here and, and haul my people off into exile because they needed it. And, and we see in Daniel's life and these other men's life happens in our life every day when we go through hard times, tough things, difficult things, and we continue to, to, to trust and focus on the kingdom of God and, and on a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are better for it. A month, six months, two years, five years down the road. We, we grow spiritually. We grow uh, in our integrity, in our character. And, and, and we've got to realize that that's okay. You know, we, we don't know what we're looking at as a country, as a nation, in the next 10 years, do we? 
But what we do know is God is still in control, and we have to hold on to that. We have to believe that, because it's true. Like Andy Stanley said last week, all of us who are older in here, and we have conversations about politics and things in the world around our younger children, we have to make sure that we're having those conversations in, in the mindset of faith, and that God is still sovereign and he's still in control of that. Because if we don't, as Andy Stanley said, we're scaring the children. And we need to not scare the children. Why do we do this church thing? Why do we come here every Sunday? Because we want to grow. I, I, I hope and pray it's not because of some religious box you're checking off of, of a calendar that you have at home. Went to church. Yep, went to church. And I don't know, at the end of the year, you're like, well, I made 300 and, or I made 45 of the 52 or however many weeks or in a year. Um, I hope that's not it. I hope it's because you want to grow. You want to learn more about this God that loves you deeply. And even though hard things happen in life, um, we can trust him. Uh, so point number one is Daniel responds with courage. How does Daniel respond to this exile? How do you respond when you're put in situations that you didn't choose or that you did choose, unfortunately, and hard things happen in your life? Can you imagine being the nation of Israel? I mean, you, you don't have a country anymore. It, it would be like us, as I said last week, being militarily controlled by another country and everything that we know of as being American, a a, a United States citizen stripped away. That's where they're at. What are those difficult, you know, there are those difficult situations where they're just flat out caused by people's evil intent. It is. It's just somebody wants to ruin your life. Or hurt you? How do you respond to that? Maybe a difficult situation in your life is because of a really poor, sinful decision that you made. And there are natural and God-given consequences to those decisions. But in the end, what is your response? In the end, it's Daniel's relationship with God that gives him courage. He's just not a great man. He's just not a hero because he was disciplined and, and, and a strong, you know, man's man. It's because he was a servant of the Lord, the Almighty God. And that's where we can be as well. Um, point number two is this. Uh, the world responds with fear. How does the, re- how does the world respond to God? How did Babylon respond to God? How did King Nebuchadnezzar respond to God? You know, Satan and those who don't know Christ, they want to be in charge of their own lives. In fact, if we were all honest with each other, even as a Christ follower, there are certainly times, many times, we want to be in charge of our life. I want to make the decisions I want to make. I want to do what I want to do. Sometimes we forget to ask God, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? You know, and, and, uh, and we need to surrender ourselves. We need to surrender to God all control of everything. But the deceit of the world is strong. We hear messages every day, right? Uh, when it comes to money, when it comes to property, when it comes to rights, when it, when, it, when it comes to things that we think that or have been trained that we should be in control of. Um, we want to make those decisions. When we put our faith in our things, or our jobs, or our families, 
we kind of are in an insecure place, aren't we? Because ultimately, we don't have control of those things. You know, give us this day our daily bread, right? Who gave you that job? Who influenced your boss to hire you? Sometimes it maybe wasn't your good looks and your resume. Maybe it was just a guy that was moved by the Lord to give you a chance. And because of that, um, the Lord has provided you with a paycheck and with bread and milk and cereal and eggs and and those things. Um, Because if we put our security in stuff and things in the world... It is completely insecure, and, and we will respond to daily life and struggles with fear. Nebuchadnezzar had a lot to worry about in his kingdom. He was the king. In fact, we'll see it later on, he thought of himself as a deity. He thought he was a god, and that he was actually in control of all. Can you imagine the pressure that he was under? And the thoughts that he had on a daily basis if something went wrong in his kingdom. And then all of a sudden he starts having these weird dreams. Actually, it's the same dream, I think, over and over. Do you ever have one of those? It's, it, it, when I was growing up, it was a nightmare. I had it almost every night. It scared me to death. It had gophers in it. <laughs> I don't think there was any spiritual significance to it. It was just a scary dream. But I had the same one over and over, and it was real places. You know, it, anyway, I, I don't <laughs> I want to waste time in telling you that story. But, but, but isn't it the same for us too? You know, King Nebuchadnezzar starts losing his mind, and we're going to read it in just a second, but, but he starts worrying about this and worrying about this and worrying about this. What does this dream mean? And I think he had an inkling of what it meant, but he just wasn't sure, and it scared him. Scared him to the point of being willing to kill lots of people, in fact. And, and we don't probably get that scared, but we get insecure and we get fearful, right? If, if we think we're in control of our job, and if we think we're in control of the money, when we make a mistake or we have a failure, what happens? We, we can, that can create a lot of anxiety in us and a lot of fear. What, what, what happens? What happens if, what happens in today's, in, in, uh, in today's reality in Wyoming, if I lose my job, what am I going to do? What if I get furloughed? What if I get taken off the board and I'm never put back on the board? What, what if? Now, if it's completely and totally up to you, you're probably really worried about that. If you've been able to just kind of step back and say, okay, Lord, uh, my response to this is I'm going to trust you in this. I'm going to continue to look for the direction that you maybe are pointing me in, but I'm going to trust. And, and I've been praying for lots of people that have been in that situation. And, and we've seen God provide, and we've seen God still kind of waiting. And, and, this, and, and people still wondering, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? So, okay, Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. 
So he's having these nightmares. He's having these dreams. He's, he's worried. He's full of anxiety. It's creating ulcers. It's creating high blood pressure. He's not sleeping well. Anybody experience that? Where does that come from? Well, it can come from a lot of things. Being too busy in your life, taking on too much responsibility, not learning the word no, um, you know, dreaming about saying yes to everything. Uh, it can come from not trusting the Lord. There's, there's lots of things that, that these things can happen in. Um, there's mistrust. Do you, think, do you think Nebuchadnezzar trusted everyone that he had under him? It, it was the way of kings, right? They, they would get suspicious of someone and think that they want to take over their kingdom. So what would they do? Oftentimes they'd have them killed. We've seen kings over the course of, of history of the world kill their own family members because they thought they were trying to usurp their, uh, their positions. Or we have people in powerful places that look in all of the wrong places for, for wisdom. Astrology is one of those places. That's what King Nebuchadnezzar's doing. He calls in the magicians and the soothsayers and the wise people, of whom Daniel is one. Johnny says to his buddy Jimmy, do you think people can predict the future with cards? Jimmy says, my mother sure can. She takes one look at my report card and tells me exactly what will happen when dad gets home. Why do psychics, if people call them, have to ask them for their name? Ever think about that? Um, Why don't we ever see the headline, Psychic Wins Lottery? Seriously! Right? I I looked, I, I heard something about a psychic that was coming to Wyoming and that there were a lot of people that were putting faith in this person. And so I did a little search on, uh, on Google to try and find who it was. And there's an outfit in Casper. I don't know if this is the outfit, but it creeped me out as I'm looking at this because, seriously, they, they've got a contract with the devil. That's the only thing that I can say. It, 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 it's, not, it's not spiritual. It's not God-honoring. And, and they say in there, um, if you've got questions in life, call us. We can help you answer them. People do this. If, if you are doing this, stop doing it. It's evil. There's this picture of this eye on the website, right? I mean, it, I, I'm, I'm reading and, and they're, they're, they're talking about going on spirit walks and they're, they're talking about literally prophesying into your life about things. There isn't anything that should be prophesying into your life other than this right here. But, but this, is where, this is where King Nebuchadnezzar goes. He goes to his psychics. Now, I think it's interesting how Nebuchadnezzar approaches them, isn't it? I think he's on to them. Right? Because what does, what does King Nebuchadnezzar expect of these guys? I don't want you just to interpret my dream. Nah, 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 nah. That's too easy. You got to tell me what my dream was. Verse 5, the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Wow. Wow. That's harsh. 
But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So you got two options here, smart guys. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. And then in verse 7, they say the only thing that they could possibly say. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Please, please tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you interpret it for me. I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers once again answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. It's impossible. Now, he's got to be thinking to himself, right? I mean, I would be, what have you been telling me all these years? I've been listening to you. Tell me things. No one on earth can do what the king asks. No king, however, great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. It's never happened before. There's no precedent for this. You should not do this, king. I mean, it's life or death for these guys. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Look at the response. Look at the world's response to difficult situations, to scary things. Verse 13, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put, the de- to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, fine. If you can't do this for me, if you can't tell me the impossible, you're dead. And what was Daniel's response to this? What did Daniel do? Well, first he got some information. Verse 15, he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. So he gives the king a string of hope. Then what does Daniel do? He returns to his home. And he explains the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he urged them to plead for the mercy, to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Essentially, Daniel in his mind says, you know what? I don't have the answer to this, but I know the one who does. And that's where he went. You're in a difficult situation. You may not know the answer to it, but you know what? You know the one who does. We serve the one who does. We worship the one who does. Every Sunday morning here, we come here together. In your households in the morning when you begin the day with prayer and with the study of God's word. Uh, When you meet in your Bible studies. When you pray at work. You are talking to the one who has the answer. Who knows. Who can do the impossible. 
So Daniel, obviously the king respected him, gave him some time, didn't kill him. (laughs) And so number three in your notes is Daniel responds with prayer. And, And that's the number one challenge today. It's a powerful response. You may, it may feel like you're talking to the wall or to the sky. God hears you. In fact, here's the thing. Daniel doesn't only pray himself, but he goes back and gathers those who he, he knows and trusts and serves with and asks them to pray to. And maybe you're in that place. Maybe there's something impossible that's happening in your your life and you've been holding on and holding on and holding on to this yourself. Yes, you've been praying, you've been laying it for the Lord, but have you gone to someone else and said, hey, you know what, would you pray with me and for me about this? Now, two series ago, we talked for weeks on being broken together and that's what you have to recognize, that we're all broken, we're all traveling this journey of life together And that that person you share to pray for you about something, it's okay for them to know that you need help. It's okay for them to know that there's something that's broken in your life. You don't have to put on a face anymore. Ask them to join you in praying for this thing. That's what Daniel does. And, and for these, there, there are things in your life right now that, that are a matter of life and death, possibly. Maybe you've been diagnosed with cancer and you have to make a decision on what kind of treatment or what you're going to do. That's a matter of life and death. Are you going to bear that yourself, alone? Or are you going to trust some friends to pray along with you? And then we see Daniel and his friends respond with praise when God answers the prayer, together. I mean, I tell a story about about Caleb and Tia this morning in their house selling because we need to praise the Lord together. That is amazing, honestly. It's good and powerful when we respond in prayer, and even better when we humble ourselves before our friends and leaders and pastors and ask them to pray along with us and for us. Now, Daniel and his friends' next response was praise and God, because God answered their prayer. When's the last time you had something answered in your life and you told some friends about it and asked them to praise the Lord along with you? When's, when's the last time you... We're intentional about, uh, intentional about your life enough that you recognize that this was a thing that God just did. And instead of just going on with life as if you expected him to do that anyway, that you praised him and thanked him for that thing or that whatever, healing or situation or confirmation or maybe even a closed door or an open door. At the end of the message today, I'm going to give all of us an opportunity to respond to what God is speaking to you today. We don't often do this here, um, but I'm going to ask at the end of the service for our elders to come up here and sort of hang out. And if there's something in your life that, that you're like, you know what, today's the day I'm going to solicit or enlist somebody else to help pray with me over this. 
I want you to come up here and I want you to tell the elder, look, I would like you to pray for, for me for this and, and he will pray for you for that. And then, you know, you can go back to your seat. Maybe it's something that, that, that you want to confess or, or maybe it's something that you just want to do a little bit of business with God and you just come up and kneel, stand, whatever, by yourself. Don't, don't approach anybody standing in the front. Just, but, but, but make the decision to say, you know what? Today's the day that I'm going to put my eyes on the kingdom of God and I'm going to trust him with this. Maybe it doesn't involve somebody else. Maybe today's the day that you say, you know what? Uh, at the end, after I give the final description, um, you decide, you know what, Jesus? You've been calling me and calling me and calling me and calling me. Today is the day that I surrender my life to you completely. It's yours. Maybe today is the day. So Daniel responds with prayer. That's number three. Number four is this. When Daniel gives the interpretation of the dream, this is what we conclude, can conclude by this. It's that God's kingdom will overcome all kingdoms. Your little individual one and any national one that, that tries to oppose God by their power and control. There is not a kingdom on this earth that's going to last forever. Scary to think about a bit. God's kingdom, not the Babylonian kingdom, not the Assyrians, not the Persians, not the Romans, not the Nazis. Whoever you want to in, in, in there. What's one of the most important lines in our very own National Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God. Now, that was added later, much later, we need to remember. That wasn't original. But we should do everything we can to, number one, not remove it, and for sure, not leave that ourselves personally because if our nation is not under God even honestly even if our nation is under God what happened to Israel could happen to us should we be afraid of that should we fear that no because God would still be in control I didn't say we'd have to like it I didn't say it wouldn't be uncomfortable because that's completely where Daniel was he didn't like where he was, but he knew God was still in control and that he was going to be faithful to the end, even in the midst of that. I think that's, why, that's one of the reasons we are part of a church family and why we, uh, we should attend regularly and, and, and rub shoulders with Christians on a daily basis is because that encourages us and helps us to be faithful to the end. Not just the end of today, not just the end of to the week, not just the end of the month or the year, but the end of your life and mine. Uh, verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. I, he's going to live, Daniel is, honestly. God has answered his prayer. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. 
I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. And then he goes to the king and he says, all right, here's, here's what your dream was. And I'm sure that the, the king was a bit excited when Daniel told him exactly what he had dreamed. But probably a little bit less excited about the interpretation. He tells, him what, he tells him the dream that he had. He says, Do not execute the men of Babylon in verse 24. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I say, what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel says, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. It's not humanly possible, Daniel says. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partially of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. And now we will interpret it to, your king, to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. Little K's, by the way. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. What you have, King Nebuchadnezzar, God gave it to you. God gave you the place that you're at. He gave you the control that you have. He's given you the job that you have. He's given you the family that you have. He's given you the people in your life. He's provided for you. God has done all of those things. And then he goes on. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united. Any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. I wonder what that last kingdom is. 
I wonder who that rock was and what became that mountain. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, Daniel goes on to say, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. This is a pagan king, by the way, and God is showing him what's going to happen in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon. And placed him in charge of all its wise men. No influence there. Hmm. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal courts. God is at work. Look at John chapter 18, verse 36 up here. You see... Daniel said, God said, the kingdom that Jesus ushered in, or, or that this was ushered in not by human hands. And, and I would say that the kingdom that Jesus has ushered in was not ushered in with human hands. Jesus said in verse 36 of John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. I am not a human being. The kingdom is not, uh, I am not that. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Something's going to happen here that's incredibly spiritual. And it's going to change all of life. In fact, Jesus is the rock that's smashing kingdoms, smashing principalities of darkness, smashing the control that sin has on your life and mine. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, or verse 10. Kingdoms are at complete mercy to God. Jesus, in fact, Jesus broke these kingdoms into pieces. Ultimately, in the end, the axe is already at the root of the trees, it says, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into fire. The kingdom of God is smashing them. Don't set up idols in your life. Don't Hold on to that control. Let it go. In Sunday school this morning, I mentioned that there's things that we hold on to in our life that we say, when you pry my cold, dead fingers away from this thing. And I think God says, okay, I can do that. That's what he did with Israel. Kingdoms are at his complete and total mercy. And we would say, but, but there are kingdoms in our world that are doing bad things. All in God's time. He's got this. We just got to trust him. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. It says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. See, humans, human kingdoms rely on birth rates, physical birth rates, or, or captures to increase the size and property and numbers in their kingdom. That's not how the kingdom of God operates. 
it operates on a spiritual basis. And it operates worldwide. Look at, look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone. I don't know if that's a reference to Daniel. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Are you still in control of the kingdom of your life? If so, surrender that today. Because God will smash it if he needs to. Maybe he's been smashing it. Maybe he's been shaking things up in your life for a purpose, for a reason. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. There is an, a, a work of God that's happening in, in the nation of Babylon, and we're going to see that as we go forward. I don't know if, if when, when King Nebuchadnezzar got on his face before Daniel in this particular place, if that was a, a change of his heart unto salvation, I don't know. I do know that in the future... He has everybody worship him, so I'm not sure at this point where he's at. But God is working even in the nation of Israel, or the nation of Babylon. <clears throat> if you're here this morning and you would say that you are interested in knowing more about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done, but you would say that you've never stepped across the line of faith, where you've, you've surrendered your life and you said, you know what, everything that I, in my life, I surrender to you. Uh, l- let me explain it just simply this way. Uh, basically, God says that we all have sinned. We, we inherit sin from Adam, from the original, from the very beginning, and, and we have no way of saving ourselves because our sins cannot be erased by good deeds. You can't do enough good things in your life to outweigh the balance of good versus evil. And the devastating thing about that fact is that our sins condemn us to hell. God's word says the wages of sin is death. But it's followed up with the gift of life is. Uh, for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. And I believe that this might be the morning where God is saying to you, today's the day that I want to adopt you into my family. Surrender it to me. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that I am Lord, that I created all, that I created you. Surrender yourself to me as your king. And your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. Because you see, paying the price for our sin, Christ died for us. That was an actual, literal act in history where Jesus, God, came down in human form, lived the perfect life, and then surrendered himself to the Roman guards. Remember we read that, that if, if, if this were some sort of human thing, he would have defended himself with, with swords, but he didn't. He gave himself up. He gave himself up to the cross unto death he died, he was buried, but then God raised him up. He conquered sin and death. He was the sacrifice. When we surrender our life to him, he takes on the sin, he takes on the pain. He experiences that himself on your behalf.
And he bestows upon you the gift of eternal life, which starts today. It's today. It's now, but not yet. Which is the same way with this prophecy that Daniel has. These things, there are men who are convinced that those things have already happened, that, that they can say, well, it was this kingdom and this kingdom, this kingdom. Maybe. There are lots of things in Scripture where we see it's fulfilled in history now, but then it's not yet. There's still something to come. To come, and, and when we look at the kingdom of God, the rock, the mountain is still growing. It's still getting bigger. The kingdom is getting bigger. Every time one of us believes and surrenders. Maybe today's that morning. Maybe you come up this morning and you talk to myself or another elder and you say, you know what? Today is the day of my salvation. Today I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ and they will help you just by praying a simple prayer of confession. It's not a magic prayer. It's, it's what's going on right here in your heart and you will know. You know if he's drawing you to him. Now, as the worship team comes up and, and we have a time of confession, I want to read you something. It was one of the daily devotions for this last week, and it's by Max Lucado, and this is what he says. He's getting on an airplane. And he says, As I, I boarded a plane last week, the pilot called my name. He was standing in the cockpit entrance greeting passengers. Well, hello, Max. I looked up. It was my friend Joe. My old friend, he is the Methuselah of the airways. He's been flying forever. He flew transports in Vietnam and has logged a book full of hours as a commercial pilot. He's faced every flight crisis from electrical storms to empty fuel tanks. He is a good pilot. And he is a friend, a good friend. He's not my neighbor, but if he were, our property value would increase. If I were in the hospital, he'd keep a bedside vigil. If I were on vacation, he'd keep my dog. If I offended him, he'd keep his cool until we could talk it through. He could no more tell a lie than a mosquito could sing the national anthem. He never swears, gets drunk, cheats, or swindles. He is that good. He is good. Good in skill and good in heart. We chatted for a few minutes And I went to my seat with a sense of assurance. What more could I request? I thought. The pilot is experienced and proven. Even more, he is my tried and true friend. I am in good hands. The knowledge came in handy. An hour into the flight, we hit a wall of winds. Maybe they were flying from Cheyenne to Denver. I don't know. (laughs) People gasped. Dentures rattled. And the attendant told us to check our seatbelts and rosary beads. I've had smoother roller coaster rides, he says. Unlike the other passengers, however, I stayed calm. I didn't have a death witch, but I had an advantage. I knew the pilot. I knew Joe. I knew his heart and trusted his skill. Joe can handle this, I told myself. The storm was bad, but the pilot was good. So, as much as one can relax in a squall, I did. Friend, it's a stormy world out there. Every day brings turbulence, moody economy, aging bodies, declining job market, increasing street violence. The question during these troubled times is this. Do we have a good pilot? You know, you've seen the bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. If that's true of your life here today, it's time to switch seats. He should be the pilot of your life, not the co-pilot. He should be the one in charge. 
The resounding response of the Bible is this. Yes, we have a good pilot. You are good, Lord, Psalm 25.7 says. Good and upright is the Lord, Psalm 25.8 says. You, Lord, are forgiving and good. God is good. God in skill and good, good in skill and good in heart. Most people suffer from small thoughts about God. In an effort to see him as our friend, we have lost his immensity, his power, his sovereignty. In our desire to understand him, we've sought to control him. The God of the Bible cannot be controlled. He cannot be contained. He brought order out of chaos and created creation. With a word, he called Adam out of dust and Eve out of a bone. He consulted no committee. He sought no counsel. He has no peer. I am God and there is no other. I am God and, then there, and there is none like me, Isaiah 46.9 says. The greatest kings have surrendered their crowns. Alexander the Great is a mound of dust in a tomb. The Queen of England is called Her Majesty, yet she must eat and breathe and rest. The true majesty, on the other hand, is never hungry. He never sleeps. He has never needed attention or assistance. From the tiniest microbe to the mightiest mountain, he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. He has authority over the world and he has authority over your world. Your sleep patterns, your eating habits, your salary, the traffic of your commute, the arthritis in your joints, God reigns over all these. He's never surprised. He has never ever uttered the phrase, how did that happen? God's power is unsurpassed and his heart is unblemished. There is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle, James 1.17 says. He has no hidden agenda or selfish motive. He loves with a good love and forgives with a good forgiveness. Good as in beautiful, best, bountiful. God's goodness is a major headline in the Bible, isn't it? I think I know why. If God were only mighty, we would salute him. But since he is merciful and mighty, we can approach him. No wonder the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then he says this, when I was 15 years old, I inherited a Rambler station wagon from my big brother. Look up the word jalopy in the dictionary and you see a picture of my car. Faded paint, standard shift on the column, worn interior. It wasn't much to look at, but it was mine. My brother was heading off to college in his graduation present, a used Plymouth. And I was entrusted with the Rambler. I remember the passing of the keys. You have to keep gas in the tank, Dad advised. I know. Air in the tires. I know. Can you change the oil and keep the car washed? Of course I can. Truth be told, I lied. I know nothing about changing the oil in the car, Max says. My dad was a mechanic. He made a living repairing old field engines, and he made a hobby out of rebuilding car engines. And there was a day when he asked me if I'd change the oil, and I said, I said I'll get her done, and he did, and he forgot to put the plug in. And his dad noticed a stream of oil running down the driveway, and his dad said, hey, here's the thing. All you got to do is ask. I won't demean you. I'll make you feel bad because you don't know something. I will help you. 
What is your response in a scary world? Is it going to be to try and help yourself? Or is it going to be surrender to the only one who's capable of doing the impossible that you seem to be facing in your life? Let's do that. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to play. The elders are going to be up here. Please, if there's something on your heart, God's been poking you right now and you've been like, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't going forward, I ain't going forward. Come forward. Have one of us pray for you. Kneel at the altar. Come as a family. Maybe it's something family-wise. I don't know. But you have an opportunity here for the next five or so minutes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Thank you for this church. I don't mean building. I mean group of people. Call to our hearts this morning, Father. I pray that we would surrender those things that are heavy on our hearts and our minds and in our families. And maybe we would surrender our life for the first time today. Thank you for bringing us all here today at this appointed time. In Jesus' name, amen.